Chapter Four of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four Theory. There was a storm without, a regular January storm, wind and snow and gloom. The sitting room was cosy and bright, or would have been but for the solemn faces gathered there. The wind was so high that ordinary comfort absolutely demanded the opening of the slide, despite the frightful waste of coal so the stove glowed. So did Helen's face, not because of the warmth of the room so much as of the fire within. Helen was in absolute ill-humour. Some heavy trial had evidently crossed her path. She sewed industriously, but with that ominous click of the needle against her thimble, and an angry snipping of her thread by the pert little scissors, that plainly indicated a disturbed state of mind. Ermina sewed too, but in a listless, weary, look-out-of-the-window manner that did not particularly advance the hemming. Occasionally she grumbled at her cruel fate in having to hem at all. It would look ever so much better stitched. They stitched everything nowadays anyhow. And everybody that was anybody nowadays had a machine. Even those paddocks across the way, poor as church mice, had a grover and baker machine. But she earned it, Ermina, taking in plain sewing, the young girl did, I mean, that one who sits at the end window so much. This from Grace, in deprecating tone, as if half ashamed at herself for taking the part of those paddocks. You seem to be very familiar with their affairs. Are the paddocks supposed to be friends of yours? Helen's tone was sarcasm itself. Why, I see Alice Paddock every Sunday in Bible class, and occasionally we walk home together. Of course we have to talk a little. Where would be the harm if they were friends? Ermina said, being in a belligerent mood. Oh, no harm, certainly, if there is a congeniality between them. I should imagine that there might have been some difference in their education and surroundings. Alice Paddock is a real sensible girl. This was Grace's final sentence, for she turned to the piano and began her drumming. Helen jerked her thread through the cloth in expressive silence. "'Where is Maria?' questioned Ermina at last. "'Gone after sugar,' Grace said from the piano. "'It seems to me that Maria is always gone after sugar,' said Ermina, with a sharp laugh. "'The grocers will think that is the chief of our diet. I wonder where so much sugar goes to.' and we never have much of anything to eat, either. Mrs. Randolph sighed. I never had to go for sugar in my life, she said plaintively. Nor to turn dresses inside out, I presume? Helen said, eyeing her with disdain. No, never, Mrs. Randolph answered solemnly. Helen interrupted the musician. What do you propose to wear to that absurd party? Why, my blue skirt and polonaise, I suppose, that is all I have, you know. Then I should certainly have sense enough to stay at home. You look like a dowdy in that. Grace laughed cheerily. Now I think I look very nice, she said brightly. It's well to have a good opinion of oneself. This Helen said, speaking very sharply. Mrs. Randolph looked distressed. Her eldest daughter was a trial and a puzzle to her. She never spoke sharply, nor hid covert double meanings inside her words. Helen had most of the conversation to herself. No one seemed inclined to talk. I would have a little respect for my own sisters if Mrs. Marshall had none, 
she commenced again, as the tone of Grace's music lulled a little. If she doesn't know that she is very rude, I would endeavor to teach her something. Helen Randolph, what are you talking about? This from Ermina, spoken somewhat snappishly. I was speaking of Mrs. Marshall. I thought I spoke with sufficient directness to be understood. Mother, is that your idea of politeness, to invite one daughter, and she almost the youngest, and ignore the existence of the others? The distressed look on Mrs. Randolph's face deepened. Why, I don't know, she said hesitatingly. I had no sisters, you remember, but Judge Harlow's family lived just across from us, and the two young ladies almost never went out together. I have known Carrie to go to a large party, and Susie to go to prayer meeting on the same evening. Yes, Helen, I really think it used to be done by the very first families. Helen bit off her thread with an impatient jerk. Evidently her mother's lapse into the past disturbed her. I shouldn't allow Grace to go out this evening anyway, if I were you. It storms furiously, and there is every indication that the storm will increase, she said emphatically. She had touched the right chord at last. Mrs. Randolph was personally very susceptible to changes in the weather, and imagined all her children to be equally so. She roused into something very much like energy, and poor Grace's chances for an evening entertainment were diminishing. At this opportune moment there occurred a break in the discussion. Maria came in, fresh from the outside world, with glowing cheeks and energetic movements. "'How warm you are here!' she said, and gave the slide a push. "'Mother, your cheeks are becomingly rosy. I think you must look just as you did the evening father tells about, the first time he ever saw you. Grace, don't thump now, I want to talk.' Helen, did you know Mrs. Monroe was going to have company tonight? Helen gave a visible start, and her flushed cheek turned a deeper red, but she controlled her voice to answer with dignity. I know nothing about Mrs. Monroe's movements. She may have company every evening in the week. I can't say as to that. I'm only speaking for this evening. I met her at the store. I told her I was certain you knew nothing about it, and she said she was certain you did, for she sent you a note this morning by little Kate. But I felt perfectly certain that little Kate had not delivered it, and told her so, and she entreated me to see about it the minute I reached home, and assure you that she was depending on you. Half a dozen friends to tea at seven. That means at least thirty friends, and tea at nine. But I didn't tell her that. I only assured her that I would do my best to retrieve little Kate's blunders. Didn't she say anything about me? interposed Ermina quickly. Not the first thing. How excessively rude! Helen, if she has no respect for your sisters, and doesn't know that she is rude, I would endeavor to teach her. Helen's face was scarlet. At least she had propriety enough to invite the eldest instead of the youngest, she said coldly. Such an awful storm as it is, continued Ermina, and likely to increase by evening. Mother, you won't think of letting Helen go? A rarely good quality had Helen. When the laugh was manifestly against her, if meantime her own prospects had brightened, so that she could afford to laugh too, she made no effort to hold on to and nurse her ill humor, but joined merrily in the merriment at her own expense. So she made merriment in the household by suddenly joining in the ringing laugh with which Grace greeted Ermina's words, 
and the little frail mother looked with puzzled face from one to the other of her four daughters, thought for the twentieth time that they were all enigmas to her, then smoothed the wrinkles from her forehead, and laughed pleasantly with the rest. It was in this fortunate mood that the awful puzzle of dress came up. I wonder if there is a woman in America, who, the question of going or not going being settled in the affirmative, does not think next, what shall I wear? I've a great mind not to go after all, Helen said, the gloom returning. Nothing decent to wear. The rest will be dressed in black silk at the very least. You might wear my polonaise if I were not going out. This from Grace, who had given up all attempts at thumping. Aren't you afraid she would look like a dowdy in it? queried Ermina. Why, no, laughed Grace. She didn't say she would look like a dowdy. I think myself it is quite becoming to her, and to me too, for that matter. Meantime, Helen had had opportunity to run over the articles in her somewhat limited wardrobe, and was back in the depths of ill-humor. "'What's the use of talking such nonsense?' she said, in intense disgust. "'You are going out, and that settles the whole question. I don't mean to go a step. I haven't the least desire to go out in company if I can't go without being the subject of remark.' "'Isn't your black silk suitable, dear?' this in a meek voice from Mrs. Randolph. "'Suitable? I should think not. Why, mother, the overskirt is a third longer than they wear them now. They don't wear overskirts much now anyway. They make everything into polonaises. It's too ridiculous that Grace should be the only one in the house who has anything that they wear.' "'Of all the absurd and ridiculous people in the world, I think they are a little the worst.' What earthly right have they to say what we shall wear and what we shall not? Maria's outbursts were greeted by the several members of the family according to their several natures. Mrs. Randolph looked at her in puzzled surprise. Ermina said sharply, I wish their responsibility didn't end there. If they would only agree to furnish the articles, I would wear them. Grace laughed, a merry, fun-loving laugh and Helen said with an air of dignified superiority, "'Don't be so silly, Maria.' Silence after that for a little, only for Grace's fingers touching the keys softly and lightly here and there. Maria went back to the kitchen, or the quiet might not have lasted. Presently Grace spoke her thoughts, at least some of them. "'Helen, you truly may wear my polonaise if you care to. I've decided not to go out this evening.' Susie Truesdell is coming in, and we are going to practice for the concert. Why, said Helen, in softened tone, and a little touch of a smile, that's a sudden resolution, isn't it? Not very, in cheery tones. I told Susie if I decided not to go, I would send her word, and Tom will run in for me after tea. Well, said Helen, after a moment's hesitation, if you have quite decided not to go, I will wear it. You know it is more becoming to me, because I wear it with a black silk skirt, and I'm very much obliged to you, I am sure, but I don't want you to stay at home on my account. There isn't much time left before the concert, was Grace's relevant answer, and she dashed into the merriest of waltzes. After tea, while the family waited for Mr. Randolph to come in to prayers, Ermina told over to Tom, with great apparent relish, the history of the day, with its mistakes and bewilderments as regarded invitations, 
detailing helen's share in the conversation with all the more vividness perhaps because her heart was a trifle sore at having been left out of both parties also she was just a little vexed at helen for accepting her sister's pretty little sacrifice it would not have been ermina's nature to have done this it all shapes itself beautifully tom said entering into the whole subject with great glee theory and fact agree this time what do you mean my son mrs randolph questioned why the all things work together notion mother i say they have come out right this time it isn't often i discover it but the thing is very plain to me that if helen had been invited to mrs marshall's in all human probability she would have accepted and then she would have been too late for mrs monroe and it's twenty-nine times more genteel to be invited to monroe's mansion than it is to go to marshall's two-story abode even leaving horace monroe out of the question and i venture to say he is in it my son said mrs randolph reproof in her voice and an amused smile on her face but something had jarred exceedingly on helen her voice was sharp and indignant tom i would make an effort not to be quite so irreverent before my mother at least the entrance of mr randolph bible in hand checked the reply that tom was aching to make how came you to give up your party and your dress for helen's benefit to-night this was the question ermina asked as she and grace went up to their rooms together the evening being over the practicing done how came i to why it came itself just as easy no doubt things do to you apparently but i mean what was your object grace laughed most everything has an object she said lightly well let me see helen thinks twice as much of parties as i do she wouldn't have found any fun in staying at home and i've managed to have considerable then it's a horrid storm and it's trouble to dress for a party you know why dear me i just happened to think i wouldn't go so i didn't that child is heedless and indolent even with her pleasures ermina said as grace bade her good night and went on to the room which she shared with maria and grace opened her drawer and lifted the lid of her collar-box to pat lovingly a dainty white ruffle you're all ready for next time now she said brightly and very likely there will come a next time in which things don't clash so who knows then the thoughtless child went to bed i wonder if it was irreverent tom said lingering in the kitchen while maria sponged bread he had just seen susie truesdell home through the pelting storm and was waiting to warm his feet some chance word of hers had suggested the conversation early in the evening that had been so sternly rebuked by helen i wonder if it was irreverent i suppose it was in me since i meant it for pure fun but can't you see how if you believed it at all maria you would like to have a wholesale belief wholesale said maria pausing in her stirring yes go away down to the bottom of things believe it through and through things working right for parties as well as for bread-making for instance suggested maria as he hesitated yes that's it exactly bread-making wood-sawing anything nothing too small you know i'd believe the whole of it or none of it do you mean to say you believe none of it well no not exactly that i'm not prepared to turn infidel in theory at least 
it's enough for me to practice it. Theory and practice don't agree in this life, Maria, and that's the trouble, except in bread-making. I'm willing to admit it in that instance. You may theorize about bread-making, though, till next week, and if I don't get up in the morning and mix it, you won't have any bread. I know it. That's where they agree, you see. Theory and practice. Then you get results. I wonder where the world would be, how far advanced, if people made the two things match everywhere as they do in bread. For instance, in regard to going to bed, said Maria, tucking her bread up in flannel and setting it behind the stove. Yes'm, your instances are striking. I'll practice on that last one. And Tom lighted his lamp and vanished. If I had known anything about it myself, I might have helped him. This Maria said to the stove just before she left it for the night. End of chapter 4